Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher here at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to 2 John. 2 and 3 John are the shortest documents in the entire New Testament. 2 John appears to be a personal letter that may even have been an addendum to the circular letter known as 1 John. In the previous series on 1 John, I mentioned that most scholars assume that 1 John was written to a cluster of churches in Asia Minor. In that letter, John addressed the issue of the recent schism. They went out from us because they were not of us. John wrote his circular letter to assure those who remained in the churches that they were on the right track, that they were, in fact, the true children of God, and to warn them not to be seduced and led astray by the secessionists. Here in 2 John, the apostle covers much of the same ground. But then he very specifically warns this local church not to provide any hospitality, endorsement, or support for false teachers. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children. Now let's just pause here for a second. That's a very interesting introduction. Why does John refer to himself as the elder and not as the apostle? Are we sure we're talking about the same guy here? Well, as I mentioned in the first episode of the First John series, by this point in the history of the church, John was the last living apostle. He lived a very long life, and he was now, in a particular sense, the elder. He was literally the elder statesman in the church, and it appears that this became a beloved title by which he was known among his dear children, in the latter decades of his life. But who then is this elect lady, and who are her children? The most likely answer is that this is simply a metaphorical way of referring to a particular local church. In the Old Testament, most notably in the Minor Prophets, it became rather common to refer to Israel under the metaphor of a bride. We think most particularly of the book of Hosea. And then, of course, in the New Testament, Jesus referred to himself as the bridegroom, So it begins to make sense to think of the church as the bride of Christ, an elect lady chosen by the Lord. And so the church becomes a she. Peter used that same terminology in his letters in 1 Peter 5, verses 13 to 14, right at the end of the epistle. He says, she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Now, of course, Peter was not in Babylon when he wrote that letter. He was in Rome. So the she who is at Babylon is not some lady living in Mesopotamia. It is the church living in exile in the world city of Rome. Early Christians used this kind of language all the time. So John the Elder is writing to a particular church, a lady chosen by God and her dear children. We'll start over at the beginning of verse 1. The elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us 
and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. Now, if you're a regular Bible reader, you may spot here some very interesting deviations from standard epistolary form. And I think these deviations are intentional. Normally, an apostle begins his letter with a prayer for the people that he is writing to. But John doesn't do that. He doesn't say, I pray that you may have grace, peace, and mercy from Almighty God. He says, you will have. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. So it appears that John is reinforcing one of the main lessons in the circular letter, the idea that perseverance is either inevitable or impossible, depending on whether or not you have the seed of God in you. And you do. I know you do, John says, because you are still walking faithfully on the old, old gospel path. So you are real believers. You are the children of God. And therefore, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's only Son. The Venerable Bede sees another implicit message in this carefully worded introduction. He says here, Because the heretics of that time denied that our Lord Jesus was the true Son of God and claimed that he was born in a merely human way, John rightly recalls that he is the Son of God the Father in order to refute these blasphemers. He also bears witness that grace, mercy, and peace come from the Son in exactly the same way as they come from the Father, thereby demonstrating that the Father and the Son are equal and consubstantial with each other. Close quote. So John is already pastoring and preaching right here in the opening verses of this letter. Verse 4. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. Now, we know that this entire region was racked by the devastating schism that we talked about in the previous series on 1 John. In 1 John 2, verse 19, John said, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Quote. So we've just come through a time of pruning, John says, in the region as a whole and in your local church. Presumably, some went out from you because they were not of us. But I rejoiced greatly to find that some of your children are walking in the truth, just as they were commanded by the Father. Now, what command is John referring to here? Again, it helps to have just read 1 John. You're going to feel that again and again as you work your way through this letter. In 1 John 3, verse 23, John says, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. The connections between these letters are so obvious and immediate that it makes sense to assume that they most likely arrived together, probably in the same package, probably delivered by the same messenger. Perhaps John felt that this particular church needed to have the general lessons of the circular letter pressed home with additional urgency. 
There's always a temptation, of course, when receiving general instruction to assume that whatever you're reading is really for the person or the congregation next door. No, John says, I want to be clear here. I am talking to you. You need to hear this, and you need to take appropriate practical steps to ensure full and glad compliance. That seems to be exactly what's going on here. The things that were happening in the region were likely particularly acute in this particular congregation. Some went out from us, from all of us, and from you. But happily, many also remained, and John is pleased to hear about the members of this church who continue to walk in the truth. Verse 5. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. From the beginning, John has insisted on the connection between love and obedience. In the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 10, he records Jesus as being the original source for that connection. He says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus doubles down on that in John 15, verse 14. He says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. So the intimate relationship that Jesus has with his disciples is of a particular character. Put simply, Jesus is on intimate terms only with those who trust him and obey his commandments. It's one of the interesting features of evangelicalism that we often make wonderful songs out of half a verse. What a friend we have in Jesus if we keep all his commands. That's how the song should have gone. We often don't make this connection. We often work very hard at not seeing this connection. But John sees the connection. John learned it from Jesus, and so John has been teaching it to his people. And again, this is one of the obvious similarities between this letter and 1 John. In 1 John 5.3, John says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. F.F. F. Bruce says here, We have the same emphasis on love as in the first epistle, the same identification of love and obedience, the same insistence on what has been held from the beginning, close quote. So this is classic John and classic Paul as well. The Apostle Paul in Romans 13.10 says, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law, close quote. Christians today need to take careful note of that. Love of the New Testament apostles is not sentimental love. It is not warm feelings love. It is body and blood love. It is action love. It is tangible love. And it is obedient love. Love may be a natural impulse for the true believer, and it is, but it is an impulse that is constrained and directed by the law. That is what you've been taught from the beginning, John says but that is not necessarily the message that you'll hear out in the world. Verse 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Now again, this feels very much like a personal addendum to the basic message of 1 John. 
The idea of people going out from us into the world is a very common one in 1 John. In 1 John 2.19, he says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. And then again in 1 John 4.1, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So this is John warning this particular church to take those general warnings very seriously. Not all who say they are Christians really are. Not all those who claim to be speaking in the power of the Spirit really are. Some of these people, many of these people, we'd have to say if we want to use the language of the text, many of these people are actually speaking and ministering under the influence of the devil. They are filled with the Spirit of Antichrist. Verse 8, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. The warning in verse 9 there appears to be targeted at people that John considers to be true believers. John Stott says here, the thought is not of their winning or losing their salvation, which is a free gift but rather their reward for faithful service, close quote. In that sense, he sounds a great deal like the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, 14 to 15, who says, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire, close quote. There, Paul seems to be talking about people who are saved, but who for one reason or another have lost their reward. That seems to be precisely the concern in view here. The hazard is more fully explained in verse 9. There John is talking about the false teachers, those who go ahead and do not abide in the orthodox or received teachings of Christ. Those people don't have God. They are animated by the spirit of Antichrist, and therefore any influence they are allowed to have in faithful churches is bound to be destructive to life and ministry. John is telling these churches to beware of progressivist interpretations. They will erode your effectiveness in ministry. The more of that air you breathe in, the less useful in ministry you will be. John doesn't want that. He wants them to win a full reward. So they need to guard their inputs carefully. Verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Verses 10 and 11 contain the only new material in 2 John. Most of the letter is simply a restatement and a reinforcement of the main themes contained in 1 John. But here we see some new content related to the matter of practical application. John is saying here that the church must be careful to give no welcome and no support to these false teachers. The Pillar New Testament commentary is helpful here. It says, To appreciate the force of this exhortation, it is necessary to understand the norms of hospitality operative at the time, which involved hosts in guaranteeing their guests as worthy individuals to the rest of the community. Closed quote. In a sense, then, what John is saying here is the logical opposite of what Jesus said to his apostles in Luke 10.4. 
Jesus said to them, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. So there Jesus told his apostles to expect hospitality. Don't take any money with you. Don't sleep in hotels. Don't take a change of clothes. Expect churches to indicate their approval of your ministry by offering hospitality and support. And be urgent and focused on your task. Don't stop to receive warm greetings from everyone you pass on the road. Leon Morris is here commenting on Luke 10.4. Salute no one on the road is not an exhortation to impoliteness. It is a reminder that their business is urgent and that they are not to delay it by dallying with wayside acquaintances. Eastern salutations can be elaborate and time-consuming, closed quote. So if you want to know what John is saying here in 2 John verse 10, then just reverse what Jesus said in Luke 10 verse 4. If the church gives a false teacher hospitality, they are in essence endorsing him as if he were an authentic messenger of Jesus Christ. He is not. So don't support him and don't delay him in any way as he passes through your town. Keep him moving. Hurry him along. Banish him far from you, lest he turn you aside and lead you into ruin. Verse 12. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Apparently, John intended to supplement this letter with a personal visit. You can do a great deal of good by means of written correspondence, but some messages really do have to be delivered in person. A smile, tone of voice, a warm embrace afterwards can help provide relational context for a message that would otherwise be difficult to receive. The children of your elect sister mentioned in verse 13 no doubt refer to the members of the local church from which John wrote this letter. Many in church history have identified that church as the congregation in Ephesus, although, of course, we can't be sure. What we can say for sure is that faithfulness is a team sport. It will take members, churches, pastors, and leaders working together to keep us all moving forward down the path that leads to eternal life. Thanks be to God. Thank you, friends, for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those at intotheword.ca. You can also connect with Pastor Paul and other Bible readers on our Into the Word Facebook page. Just type Into the Word into your search bar. If you'd like to contribute to this listener-supported program, go to the website and click the Give bar in the top right-hand corner. Once again, that's intotheword.ca. We hope to see you again real soon right here for another episode of Into the Word.